I got to tell you, where Ben's expertise is the Beatles, mine is the E Street Band, so we've got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go to it. All right, so out of all the projects you could pursue, why Macadamecca? <laughs> That's not, uh, not every day you get a chance to play some Beatles songs. Uh, I haven't done it since, you know, I was a, in a bar band in, in high school. Um, we started the tour uh, the day after I filmed uh, The Irishman with, with, with Marty Scorsese. Um, got to London and, and um, the very first gig, uh, Paul McCartney joins us on stage, you know, which was probably the, you know, top five biggest thrills of my life. <laughs> um, you know, he, he had come on stage with us at, with the E Street Band at Hyde Park and he invited me and Bruce on stage with him at Madison Square Garden. But um, coming on my stage, you know, endorsing my music and my show was really quite quite an unbelievable, uh, you know, thrill. So it kind of put me in a Beatle mood for the rest of that tour. You know, that was the first gig of the tour and we were playing England and we we're about to play Liverpool. And I thought, you know, let's have some fun. You know, I remember the Beatles used to do these things called lunchtime sets at the Cavern when they, when they first started. And then literally the local businesses, you know, would bring their lunch to the Cavern and the Beatles would play for half an hour. So I said, you know, Let's let's do one of those lunchtime sets and um, and uh, at the cavern and you know we're playing Liverpool that night anyway, so we did that's what we did and and uh, you know we decided to do um, like half 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 the set with, with songs that were Beatles songs with horns since we had the horns and uh, half the set of covers that they would have done at the cavern at that time you know. So uh, that was part of that whole Soul Fire tour. And we, um, so we just recently uh, attached that now to the Soul Fire box set. But for those who already have the Soul Fire live DVD box set, uh, we also have it separate, you know, for, for people who can, you know, they can just get the Mac and the Mecca package. So um, that's the story, man. You know? Well, there's a couple of things here. One, if playing with McCartney is one of your top five, I'd love to know the other four. <laughs> <laughs> well, fil fil filming with Scorsese is right there too, which was the night before. Good point. Good point. <laughs> you know? um, but the, the, you talk about playing on stage with Paul. Let's go back to 2012. Hard Rock Calling. You're on stage with the E Street Band. Bruce calls out Paul McCartney. You're in the middle of I Saw Her Standing There, and the electricity goes out. They pull the plug because you're past curfew. Yeah, like, I mean, like, literally five or 10 minutes past curfew, you know? And they pulled the plug on us and, uh, you know, and I, I joke about it on, on this DVD, you know. What uh, was that conversation uh, like between you, Paul and Bruce backstage after that happened? I mean, cause as fans <laughs> couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually went to dinner afterwards and uh, we were just laughing about it, you know? I mean, it just shows you, you know, just, just in case you start thinking like you're important, you know, it kind of, it's a very humbling experience. You know, Paul McCartney meets Bruce Springsteen, you know, and they pull the plug. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I remember that. That that almost went viral on our uh, Facebook Beatles group that uh, people just, the amount of comments that, you know, that, how disrespectful, what the hell's going on? Like, you know, this is, this is really important. And they're put, it's, it's almost like the rooftop gig, you know, when the cops try to, to pull it on the Beatles, you know? Yeah. Is it happening right. again, you know? I mean, 
and that was at the height of their powers, you know. Yeah, I mean, where was Mal just, Evans, man? Mal Evans should have been there with you guys, you know, yeah, stopping the cops. <laughs> on. Rock and roll never gets any respect, let's face it, right? <laughs> Makes for a good story, though. Makes for a good yeah. comeback for you guys to reunite and all that. So, yeah, well, Stevie, so five years later now, 2017, how does this happen? How does McCartney get on stage with you at a small club in, in England? You know, I, I, I heard he was coming, and... Um, and so right at the end of the sound check, um, they were they were, you know, really bugging me to let everybody in because it was one of our biggest, bigger gigs of that tour. And uh, it, it was sold out. And so, um, you know, I, I, I said, you know, we, we better prepare something just in case, you know. So at the very last minute, I, I, I did a um, I, I knew Paul's a fan of Little Richard as I am. And, and in fact, if it wasn't for Paul McCartney and the Beatles, I wouldn't know who Little Richard even was, you know. Um, the British invasion in general turned us teenagers onto our own American music, as you know. Um, mm. But anyway, the last couple of minutes, I, I did like a Little Richard arrangement. Of, I saw her standing there. Um, just we went through, ran through it once. And, um, and then when Paul got there, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, listen, man, you know, you, you, you never socialize these days. You're so busy touring all the time, you know, sort of on this on this forever permanent tour, which is wonderful. And he's, and he's doing like three hour shows now. Oh, know? yeah, totally. And amazing so I said, what he's you know, doing. yeah, it's amazing. So I just said, just relax with, you know, Nancy, your, you know, your wife and relax with Maureen, my wife, and just enjoy the show. Don't even think about coming up, you know, any any kind of pressure, you know. So I think he appreciated that, you know, and, and we do the show and we're taking a bow for the encore and my roadie runs up and says, Paul's coming up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and Paul, and he comes up with a guitar on and, um, and without ever having rehearsed it, you know, he, he had a lot of yeah. faith in us and I, and I, you know, <laughs> it's quite amazing. And uh, we just, we just, we went into it and did it, you know, and I, I threw him the first solo, and uh, he played a great solo. And uh, and Mark Ribbler, my other guitar player, played the other solo. And uh, and uh, yeah, that was it, man. You know. Yeah. No. Like, what's really remarkable about that? When I was watching it, I mean, we we as Beatles fans, we see a lot of these uh, Paul live broadcasts. And um, what was remarkable for me was just how loose and relaxed Paul was with you and your band. Oh, it was kind of like he was really opened up and just relaxed and just really got into it. You know, it's uh yeah, I, I think that the show, you know, um, oops, that's my dog. My dog wants to go out. Hang on. Don't move. Don't move. Yeah. yeah, All good. Um, he, um, I, I, I think the show really, you know, he really he liked the show a lot, obviously. And he obviously liked the band a lot. I mean, you know, he was asking Maureen questions throughout the set, you know, you know, what's that one? What's this one? You know, uh, he just was extremely, extremely into the show. And I, I think that's probably what motivated him to, to want to come up because, again, we, we never rehearsed it. We, you know, he'd never seen the band before. Uh, I don't know if he had any idea what I what I actually do other than, you know, he knew me from the E Street Band, obviously, but I didn't know how familiar he was with my own music, you know. So it was quite a... Um, Quite a, you know, quite a, quite a vote of of, of confidence and, and a, and a, you know, a very big validation for me and, and, a, and what an endorsement, you know. Um, I just was, um, I was amazed that he had the, you know, 
it took a it took a lot of courage. And, and I mean, the place was packed. You know, it's three, four thousand. I don't know how many people yeah, you know, no. in the round in, in the roundhouse. You know. He just dropped right in there. Like you guys were playing. He just dropped straight in there. Like it was like, <laughs> you know, um, but credit to you guys. I mean, you got a great band. I was watching uh, your backup singers and your keyboard players and your brass guys. I mean, you guys were rocking and uh, you chose very jumpy numbers too. You know, uh, the type of numbers that get people really into it, especially in the cavern and um very adventurous Beatles songs too. Uh, were those Beatles songs that you chose for the cavern in particular? Uh, did you choose them because no one had really done those types of, you know, uh, what, what was it? Um, was it Dr. Robert? Oh no, yeah. good morning. You did good morning. Well, and, and we, the we time basically... changes in that track um, are quite complex. Well, it's, it's funny, you know, you, you can listen to a record your whole life, you know, and you think you know it, you don't really know it till you play it, you know. Yeah. Um, and and it's and that's always been true with Beatles songs in particular. Um, they're much more complicated than they sound. You know, he they make them sound very simple. You know, I've I've always said the first ten seconds of the song "Help" is the most sophisticated, complicated ten seconds in all of rock music. You know, but it mm. sounds smooth as silk when they do it. You know. Yeah. Try playing that first 10 seconds of help with your band and try to <laughs> make it sound like that. Okay. You know, I mean, George Harrison plays that crazy riff, you know, uh, yeah. but, but, but in, in this case, you know, we had the horns, So we, we figured let's do half the, half the set with Beatles songs with horns. Now it's not all that many, you know, but. Um, I've got to get but, you into my life and. Yeah, I know it was life. very, yeah, yeah, true. All you, you know, all you need is love, which is quite tricky. Um, you had all the synth morning. parts down on the all you need is level. The, the, the synth guy had all of the string parts down. Yep. And that was very yep. impressive. And he had the, he had the animals in good morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, yeah, the, no, the that, that was one of the questions we had on the Beatles uh, page was the rooster. They were like, are they murdering a real rooster? Or where is that coming from? Is, that, <laughs> is someone squeezing a rooster in the back of the cavern? But, uh, it's probably, it's yeah. probably a keyboard sound, but yeah, good on them. Yeah. Like yeah, went, went you got you got to have that point. rooster. You, you you can't start that song without the rooster. <laughs> you know you got to have it. And then uh, what was the other one? Oh, we did that magical mystery tour, which, um, yeah. you know, listen to that that horn part on that bridge. You know that really fast horn part is quite tricky. You know, um, so you know uh, that was the idea. Just you know half the half the set with horns since we had the horns. Yeah, and you know people people never hear the Beatles songs with horns because you know where where are you going to hear them? You know. I yeah, think well, that was, what's, that was, what's what's perhaps refreshing about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's ultra impressive is the size of the Cavern Club and then knowing the size of the Disciples of Soul. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it's difficult to cram everybody in there. Well, let me tell you, you know, um, when I first got to England um, in, in the 70s, you know, I, I, I uh, immediately ran to Liverpool, went to the address of the Cavern, and it was a parking lot. Okay, um, and and um, in their wisdom, you know, somebody somebody thought, well, maybe there's something to this place after all. Uh, again, rock and roll getting no respect at all. Uh, <laughs> our, our, one of our most sacred sites was paved over, so they they rebuilt it supposedly uh, very close to where it was, and supposedly with the same bricks. You know, who knows? But when they when they rebuilt it, they built a a, a copy of what it was that long thin 
you know, room with the with the arches that we've all seen in the some other guy video for the, the Beatles did. And but then they have a, a hallway going to a, a bigger room, so, you know, and that's where Paul McCartney played when he played the cavern, and that's where most bands play. And they assumed that, of course, with my band, with the size of my band, they would, you know, they assumed that we wanted to play there also. I said, no, 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 I gotta have the arches, man. I gotta have that, you know, that's what I grew up with. So we barely fit the rhythm section on the actual stage with the arches. And then there's like a partition and the girls and the horns were on the other side of the partition. Uh, you, you can see it in the DVD. Just, Could, you know, you like a, Could you actually see hallway. them when you were performing? No. Could you see them? Not at all. No, no. But there's wow. a little hole in the partition where Eddie Mannion, the, the, the leader of the horns, could see Richie, the drummer, so they could, you know, they could end, end more or less together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you wanted to get it close. But no, we couldn't, couldn't see them at all. Yeah, Talk no, about Steve, uh, intuitive live playing. You know, you can't even see the guys you're playing with, but yet, you know, you, you wouldn't know it when you're hearing it. No, no, it's, it came off good. And we only rehearsed them that couple of days before, you know. Wow. Uh, you know, we're in a bus touring around England and uh, just rehearsed them right on the bus, you know. Your selection of these Beatles tracks, I mean, some of them are covers in them in itself. Uh, they're rather obscure. What made you choose these songs? Well, I mean, I know what most people don't realize is, again, that the Beatles and the British invasion um, introduced us American teenagers to our own music. Uh, but it wasn't just the big guys. I mean, I I'd never heard of Chuck Berry. I, I never heard of Bo Diddley. I never heard of Little Richard, you know. So they introduced us to the 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 main pioneers, but they also introduced us to some of the, you know, obscure guys, you know, like Larry Williams, you know, uh, which, uh, which we did, you know, slow, slow down. Um, Arthur Alexander, nobody ever heard of Arthur Alexander, you know. Um, mm. And interestingly, Larry Williams and Arthur Alexander are two of the five artists that were, that both the Beatles and Stones covered, you know, it's only five. And, and, uh, and they're two of them, you know. Um, so so um, it's just some of my favorite stuff. Uh, I mean, Larry Williams is incredible. Um, he was sort of a, um, a replacement for Little Richard, actually, at Specialty Records. And um, Arthur Alexander, just a very soulful cat, you know. Um, and what else did we do? Oh, we did Boys, which was uh, the B the B side of a Shirelles record that the, the Beatles had found. That wasn't a hit in America. Um, and that, that was was that was a Ringo track, right, Ben? That was Ringo. Yeah, R Ringo actually had done it uh, back with Rory Storm. Uh, he, he had always uh, had a little featured role in the in the set of the Rory Storm and the Hurricane set. They called it Star Time, and, and uh, Ringo would would sing a couple songs, and that was one of them. Which is why he was so comfortable with it, you know, when he did the uh, "Quiet You," coming back in. <laughs> uh, you know, when, when if you listen to it, it's probably Ringo's greatest vocal on a Beatles record, I think, because he because he had been singing it for for years, you know, with Rory Storm before before the Beatles. Yeah, he kind of um, lets it loose. He built it out, doesn't he? On yeah, the, on it's just it's just great, and that great drum part, which he he doesn't do anymore, and I. I tried to get him to do it last time I saw him. I said, Ringo, how can you not play that drum party? You know, I don't know. I think he may have trouble playing it and singing it, I, I, but, he, but he did it for years, you know. He did that, that the great pop, pop, boom, you know, you know that, that, that great, that fantastic drum part. Anyway, uh, 
that was the other one. And then, and then we had to do some other guy, of course, which was um, originally, uh, again, not, not a hit in America um, by Richie Barrett, who was a legendary guy. He um, played piano on the Chantels. He, he produced the Chantels, the, the very first girl group hit record. And um, I, we actually had him in, on the Juke second album playing piano on that doo-wop song we did um, on, on This Time Is For Real, a uh, song called First Night. Um, and uh, he wrote that, Richie Barrett wrote that with Lieber and Stoller, actually, uh, the two greatest American songwriters. Uh, so it was, you know, we picked those, uh, just favorites, really, no no particular, you know, reason other than I knew that, that you know, we looked and made sure they played them at the Cavern. They have, you know, yeah. So, yeah, you've got to play story. some other guy in there. You know, that footage of the Beatles, you know, with uh, Brian Epstein watching and, and they're going at yeah. some other guy. And and uh, they really, I mean, such a good quality, even though it's not a good quality recording, it still comes, like the energy in some other guy still comes across and you can see them bopping up and down. And, uh, you know, when you, as Beatles fans, like we look at that footage and, and we kind of see the black and white and you you you've got that olden day sort of Beatles early sound, which I love. Um, but it was nice to sort of have a little bit of that and also have some of these more obscure, you know, tracks from Sergeant Pepper and, and Magical Mystery Tour. Um, which one do you lean? Are you Sergeant Pepper's guy or Magical Mystery Tour? Or like... <laughs> uh, You know, my, my favorite changes every hour. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the American version of Magical Mystery Tour was a little bit of cheating because, it was really kind of a compilation, half of a compilation, yeah. uh, rather than a proper album, you know. And 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 in that compilation was Strawberry Fields and I am well, the Walters, love. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Stevie, when you were when you were younger, growing up, you were you weren't introduced to the Parlophone copies. You were introduced to the American copies. Yeah, the it was American ones. copies. Uh, our our whole our whole way. Um, we never heard the originals till much later. Um, my my last I don't know five conversations with Neil Aspinall, who's just a wonderful wonderful guy who who ran Apple. Uh, my last literally my last five conversations with him was trying to talk him into releasing the mono versions, which uh, they were not available. The actual mm. mono versions of the Beatle records were not available until fairly recently, and they're mm. the real thing. You know, yeah. we 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 had um, you know not only did the Beatles not mix uh, the stereo versions. George Martin didn't mix the stereo versions. The, uh, the assistant engineer mixed the stereo versions, okay? <laughs> I mean, they, they'd all left the studio and, and, and then left it to the assistant engineer to mix the stereo version, which was considered a gimmick. You know, stereo was considered a gimmick. Mm. And, and, and that's the only thing that was available to Americans for, for you know, 30, whatever, 40, 50 years. I mean, ridiculous, right? And, and also the American versions, interestingly, have a, a very subtle touch of echo on, on them, all of them, you know? So a lot of people grew up with that and, and then and never really adapted to the mono versions, the real, the real thing. They, they prefer the American versions because that's, that's what they, you know, grew up that's with. That's what they know? used to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Stevie, is there anything else you, you'd like to you'd like to talk about? Oh, that's you know, that's it. That's the story. You know, we um, we attached it to the soul. Now, you know, when you get the the um, the Soulfire live DVD now, it's attached to that 
we, you know, we attached it to the, to the package, the, the big package. But, but, but for those who already had the Soul Fire Live DVD, we, have, we also have, have it separate, you know, as a, as a Mac and a Mecca separate thing, you know. Stevie, I, I had spoken to you back in L.A. when, you, when Bruce took a break, E Street Band took a break, and you had just now decided to release Soul Fire and, and go out on tour with Disciples of Soul. And you were saying that you were kind of like rediscovering this again, like even though you had been in the yeah. music business for decades, it was kind of nerve wracking to you. What's it like years later now still touring with Disciples of Soul and being a front man? Well, it, it was quite a um, quite a transition for me. I mean, I, I had I did five solo albums in the 80s and, and then I, I just I, I, I said what I wanted to say. I, I learned what I wanted to learn. They were all very thematic, very political records back then. And, um, you know, when I walked away in 1989, intending ne never to go back, I, I just kind of felt like I'd done that. And, um, and then I started acting and, and um, yeah, you know, The Sopranos and then Lilyhammer after that. And, and, you know, I don't know, 20 years went by. Um, Bruce put the band back together, the E Street Band back together, which I'd been gone. I took a mere what, eighteen-year hiatus from you. You left you know? right the Born in the USA tour. Yeah, yeah. I, I produced it and then and then didn't tour. Um, and then um, you know, suddenly because of circumstance, uh, it was I didn't even intend to come back into the business. Uh, but Bruce was doing the, the Broadway thing. I didn't have a new TV show. And somebody in London um, asked me to, to throw a band together and, and headline one of the nights at, at his blues festival. This crazy promoter named Leo Green, who, who you know, you may know. Um, and I thought, well, geez, I haven't, I haven't done that in 25, 30 years, you know. Uh, but it sounded like fun. And I just met a whole bunch of new musicians from producing the Darlene Love album, introducing Darlene Love. Uh, so I, I, I borrowed Mark Ribbler, her music director. I said, you know, throw together a band for me and let's go have some fun. I mean, you know, uh, let's bring some horns. You know, we can do some uh, Paul Butterfield blues band stuff with the horns that no one's ever heard. We can do some electric flag stuff with the horns that no one's ever heard. And I'll uh, throw a couple of my old songs in. And we started rehearsing some of my old songs, which I hadn't played in literally 30 years. And I was quite um, taken with them, actually. I was like, wow, this stuff is, is it's strange. It, it, they hold up very well. And they were never really categorizable. They were never really fashionable. So they kind of had a timeless quality to them. You know, this rock meets soul thing that I had created, you know, with the Jukes, you know, Southside Johnny and Asbury Jukes, and then carried, on, carried that on into my first solo album. I said, like, you know, Let's go back to that for a minute and, and, and revisit it and um, and just, you know, found a sponsor out of nowhere and, and we did the Soul Fire tour and it was just a lot of fun. I, I wasn't ready to write a whole new album, so I just we just did an album of, of songs I'd written for other people. You know, that's what Soul Fire is. It's all mostly all songs I'd written for other other people. Um, and, and then halfway through the Soul Fire tour, uh, new ideas started coming to me and that turned into the Summer of Sorcery album, which is all new stuff. Uh, and that live DVD will be coming out in June, actually. Um, and that, that really turned out amazingly well as well. So I was just 
it was a, literally being reintroduced to my life's work, which I kind of abandoned, uh, you know, without really being conscious I'd abandoned it, but, but I had. And it was nice to get back to it and find it, you know, and, and then reintroduce it to the public a, a bit, you know, as, as much as we could in those last three years. But it's been the most productive three years of my life, honestly, right up until the wow. pandemic. I mean, we've got mm. five album packages out, you know, including the score from Lilyhammer, which had never really come out. You know, the two live packages, Mecca to Mecca, uh, Rock and Roll Rebel, which is my all my old masters remastered, and three concert DVDs in that Rock and Roll Rebel package. So, I mean, you know, my entire past has now come out finally after being buried for, for decades, you know? So that was really worthwhile. It was worthwhile. And, and again, this happened completely by accident, you know? You know, now when we come back from this pandemic, is, is the plan now to go back on tour with East Street or? Well, well yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about it. Uh, we luckily got that album done just before uh, the, the quarantine hit. And um, we're really quite proud of, of it. You know, we, we did it the old school way, which we hadn't done since born in the USA, you know, you're, you're talking letter to you. Yeah. Letter to you. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, for, for, for those records, you know, uh, darkness and the river and, 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 uh, and born in the USA, you know, Bruce would walk in with an acoustic guitar and, and then we, you know, and we, and show us the song and then we take it from there. You know, I mean, the East street band pretty much produces themselves individually anyway. And, you know, in this way we had, we were able to give input on the arrangements just like we did, in, you know, back back then, um, which was, you know, uh, again, the first time we'd done that in, in, in whatever, uh, 40 years, you know, um, and it really made a difference. It, it, ma it makes a difference, not not just in how it ends up, but also the, the process, you know, the process is so, so much fun. Um, you know, we booked five days to do it and um, we finished it in four. So the fifth day we just sat around listening to it, drinking tequila. Um, <laughs> and it was, you know, we were doing what I call the Be Beatles schedule, which was a song every three hours, you know? Wow. And, uh, and, and we literally did the whole album in four days. That's awesome. Well, Stevie, I, I really appreciate your time today. Ben does as well. Uh, yeah. Great talking with you. Don't forget, Little Steven, Disciples of Soul, tribute to the Beatles, Mac at a Mecca. Available now. Little Stevie, thank you. Good to see Thanks, you. Stevie.